This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Today we're going to look at verses 17 through 24. This is God's Word to us. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your calling. We thank you for your direction for our lives. And as we look at this text today, I pray that you would encourage those who feel uh, aimless, those who know you today and yet feel aimless and lacking direction or purpose. I pray that you would speak and encourage them today in such a clear way. For those who don't know you, I pray that you would open their eyes to see you in a way maybe they never have before to, to follow you today by your grace. So we just ask you, whatever place we find ourselves in today, young or old, um, well or sick, uh, weak or strong, Lord, uh, believer or unbeliever, wherever we are, we pray today that uh, we would receive truth from you and that you would change us. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit to communicate the truth of this passage and give us all ears to hear what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I recently had the honor, and an honor it was, to be a featured speaker, among others, at Community Helpers Week at my grandson's elementary school. And so I spoke to kindergartners, uh, which is, wow, Uh, I spoke to the entire kindergarten class on Community Helper Week. I was grateful to be invited, and I knew I needed to be careful. They weren't inviting me to preach the gospel. It's a public school. So uh, I would like to make friends there. I've served there before. I would like to be invited back. So I was very careful about what I said uh, because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to damage the trust of being invited into the situation. So I thought, how can I tell them what I do and how I relate with people and how I help people in the community? So I thought, well, what are some events the kids might know? And so I said, how many of you have ever been to a wedding? Uh, you know, my mom got married. My, you know, everybody starts telling me about every wedding they've ever been to. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so then I said, uh, well, at a wedding, have you ever been to a wedding and you've seen there's a guy up there and he says, okay, do you love this woman and want to be married to her forever? I do. Do you love this man and want to be married to him forever? I do. You may kiss your bride. Ooh, they all started gagging. Ah, okay. 
I'm the guy who gets up there and says that, says, uh, tells them what to do. You know, so I said, uh, that's one thing, the way I serve others. And, and uh, how many of you have ever been to a funeral? Nothing like bringing up death at 8 a.m. to kindergartners. And n- most people didn't know what I was talking about. So I just kind of went straight from the wedding into the funeral and just started talking about it. And I'm saying, okay, you know, it's like when somebody dies and all their family and their friends come together and they're very sad. And and there's a guy that stands up and tells people about God and tries to comfort them at their time of really being sad. And so they're all kind of listening. Most, most of them had no idea what I was talking about. And so then a kid shoots his hand up for a question and answer. And he says, right as soon as I said that, he said, I have a question. Why would anybody die at their own wedding? Is it... <laughs> And I realized, I didn't make a good distinction between the two events. (laughs) And so I said, well, wait a minute, those are two different things. I'm like, oh, I continue going home and telling their parents. So that was for free. That doesn't have to do with the sermon. So then the next question has to do with the sermon. The next kid raises his hand, may have been a Christian kid, and he says, or from a Christian family, and he says, "Uh, how did you know you were supposed to be a pastor? And so I said, well, because I'm thinking all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, I'm thinking we're getting into stuff probably that may not. So I said, well, if we were at church, I could give you a, a really long answer. But since we're at school, I'm just going to give you a short answer. One of the teachers beside me says, that's good. Like she was nervous that I was going <laughs> to say, open your Bibles or something. She said, that's good. She literally said that. So I said, uh, well, and I kind of gave this answer, you know, very simple answer. But I realized what he was asking me, this kindergarten is, some, kindergarten is something that I'm asked fairly often by people in the church, by people that I meet, even people that aren't Christians. But I'm fairly often asked when, I tell, when they find out what I do, how did you know you were called to be a pastor? That's the language. How did you know that you had this calling from God? How did God call you to be a pastor? And It occurred to me that Christians often speak of some people being called and others not being called. But the Bible teaches, and the passage we're looking at right now teaches, that all people, all Christians, are called. And one of the main reasons is, when the Bible mentions calling, it's almost exclusively, almost always talking about your calling to Jesus, your calling to believe, your calling to know the Lord. Now, in the passage we just read, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the reference every time but one. That's almost how it's always spoken of. So to be called means that you hear the good news, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus rose from your sins, and, and that whoever turns and believes in him alone will be forgiven and receive eternal life. And when you hear that good news, God's spirit gave you new life and you believed in him and you were called to him. And this is your primary calling in all of life. It's a calling to believe in Christ. It is a calling to be his child. It is, we could say, a vertical calling. It is your call to the Lord. And every Christian has that calling. 
Now, there's a secondary sense in which we speak of calling that is referenced in the first verse that we read here, and that can refer to the Lord's design for your various roles in life. That, that's, it, it's a horizontal call. So it's not a vertical call to the Lord, but it's your call to live out your life. It's a call to relate to others. It's your call to, to live your life, to f- uh, fulfill faithfully the various roles that he has given you in life. So we could talk about a family calling where someone could say, well, I'm called to be a wife. I'm married to him, so I'm called as a wife, or I'm called to be a son. That is, I have a role with my parents. Sometimes this language is used about our occupation. You, you're called, someone says, well, the way I'm wired, I feel like God, I'm just called to work in sales. Because that's what, what I, those are my gifts and my abilities. Or if you're a younger person, I'm, you're called to be a student could be in church. You say, well, man, we feel we're praying and now we feel called to be a part of this church. We're called to be a church member. Called, I feel called to serve as a teacher in children's ministry. I feel called to serve on the worship band. A role that you play uh, is a calling. Additional areas, you might say where you live, you're called to that neighborhood. If you volunteer, you're called to volunteer in a service organization. So this secondary type of calling refers to your life situation. It's where God has placed you and what God wants you to do. So everyone who's a Christian, everyone is called to the Lord in relationship with him. That's vertical and that's primary and that shapes your horizontal call, which is to live out your life in the various roles that he's given you. So the primary call shapes and informs and empowers the horizontal call. Now, here's another problem. One problem is saying only some people are called, like missionaries, pastors, chaplains, and no one else is. So that's a problem. Here's another problem with what I just shared with you. The other problem is that we can overemphasize our secondary calling as Christians and underemphasize our primary calling. In other words, You can determine your value, you can determine your success in life, you can determine even your security from one of those secondary callings instead of your primary calling, and that is wrong. Here's how that works. You make your job your primary identity. And so your primary measure of success in your life as a Christian becomes how's your job going? What's your title? How much money do you make? You draw your identity from your secondary calling instead of your primary calling, and that's a problem. Or being a mom becomes your primary calling. And so then your measure of success in life is how are your kids doing? And what are they doing? And do we have them doing enough, which is the pressure in this culture? That's making your secondary calling primary because you are drawing your self-worth, your value, your dignity out of what you do instead of whose you are. The primary calling is to inform those secondary callings. And oftentimes when we get that mixed up, we start thinking that a change in our secondary calling, and this is where we come to the text, a change in our secondary calling will make all the difference. And so here's how that works. We think my life will really be meaningful when finally I get married. When my status changes from single to married, then life begins for me. That then I will, I will live like I was called to live. I'll have real purpose when we have children. 
Once we have a child and then I'm passing something on to the next generation, that's when, when it's not just my wife and me together, but when we have a child, then that's when I will really have meaning and start living out my calling as a mom. Or it works like this. You know, when I get out of this temporary job and get on to my real job, the job that I trained for, I went to school for, that I'm gifted for, when I get on to that job, then I will live my real calling. So you're chasing that secondary calling, and that secondary calling is your significance, that secondary calling is your identity, that secondary calling is your fulfillment. The problem with that is when your secondary callings fluctuate in life, so does your joy, so does your purpose, so does your meaning. And it tends to create this sort of idea that life will be good when I get that promotion. If only I was married, then I would be happy and fulfilled. So we can falsely believe that meaning and purpose, even our happiness, comes from our life situation, the calling where we are today. And Paul addresses, I'm speaking in very modern terms here, but Paul addresses the same ideas that I'm talking about here. Now, he uses ancient categories that are very foreign to us, that we're about to see, very foreign to us. But the point he's making is the same to the Corinthians. His point is that God called you where you were so that you can fully serve Jesus wherever you are. This is the problem in Corinth. He's saying, remember, God called you where you were so that you can fully serve Jesus wherever you are. The first thing he talks about is God's call and your circumstances. That's the first thing he talks about. Number one, God's call and your circumstances. Let's begin with the context. If you were here last week, you'll remember, here's what chapter seven's about. And this whole thing that we just read fits perfectly with what we studied last week. He said, don't worry about changing your status. If you're married, don't act like you're single. And, and cease to have a sexual relationship with your spouse because you think it's holy to be celibate and single so you're acting like that. Don't do that. Just live the married life. If you are single, don't be stressing out about getting married. Now, if you, if you don't feel called to be single, it's fine to marry, he says. But just remain single if you can do that. If you're a Christian, Corinthians, you're new Christian and you're married to an unbeliever, just stay put. Stay in your marriage. Don't leave your marriage. And so what he's saying is that you can live out your Christian life in whatever circumstances you're in right now. Do you see how this ties in? Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. That is my rule in all the churches. The call there is referring to that horizontal call. Whatever circumstances you're in, whatever God has assigned to you, live out that calling, God's call and your circumstances. So that ties in with what he's been saying. Don't worry. Your primary goal is not change your status or your role so that then you can serve the Lord. Rather, you could serve the Lord now. Now, I love how he says this. Let each person lead the life. Each person, it's very individualized here. Each person finds themselves in a certain set of circumstances. Each person, wherever you are today, Wherever you are, you, you, God has is assigned things to you. The Lord has assigned him. Live the light that the Lord has assigned to him. The word means apportioned. God has apportioned out to you something. He has given you gifts. 
He has given you a personality. He's given you physical attributes. He's given you spiritual inclinations and abilities and sensitivities, okay? So he's saying, think about how the Lord has designed you, and he's placed each person in a specific context. Live out the life that the Lord has signed to you in which the Lord has called them. Where are you? Each one has, each of us in the room has a, a some of us are similar, but ultimately we have a different context. We each, you live in a different neighborhood. You live in a different apartment complex or a different a subdivision than someone else. You have a job. You have family. God has given you specific family relationships, and he's given you a purpose there in your neighborhood, in your work. If you're single, he's given you a purpose to serve others. If he's married, he's called you first to serve your spouse and then others as well. So he's given us specific relationships that he has a purpose for, and he's called you there. In this secondary sense of calling, he's called you um, where you are. Now, the rest of this passage, when it talks about call, it's going to be the vertical sense. And he's going to say that vertical sense ultimately should inform the horizontal sense of calling. Lead the life that God has given you. And Paul says that's what he teaches everywhere. I'm not picking on the Corinthians. This is what I teach in every place. When you think about your relationship with God and you think about making a difference with your life, This passage says, don't think about someday, somewhere. You think about right here, right now. He's saying to the married person, don't wish you were celibate. Single to the single person. Don't wish you were married to the person married to an unbeliever. Don't just say, well, if I had a Christian spouse, things would be different. No, he says, God has assigned you something right here, right now. Occasionally, I read... um, the, the message, which is not a translation of the Bible, but it's one man, Eugene Peterson's interpretation of Bible text. So I like to read it kind of like a commentary rather than a translation. But the way he nails this verse is incredible. Look what uh, the message says on this verse, verse 17. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than the others, than on the others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. It's his interpretation of verse 17, and I think it's exactly right. Don't worry about your, your marital status, whatever else it may be. Don't wish you were somewhere else with someone else. God's called you where you are. If you're a Christian today, and especially here as a young person, uh, this, this passage is relevant to all of us. But if you're a young person, this is particularly relevant for you because young people waste a lot of time waiting for the right situation to come along before they serve the Lord. Waste a lot of time, sometimes years. And it's not only a waste, it's also presumption. It's presumption to think that someday in the future I'll even want to serve the Lord. So that's presumptuous. But secondly, it's, wait, it's disobeying this passage, living the life that God has assigned to you now for him. That's your calling right where you are. And I believe this is a chief strategy of the enemy to grab younger people and, and sort of tempt them to just coast along rather than making a serious investment of their lives right where they are. This is true for singles. This is true for marriage. This can be, this can be true on the other end for someone who's a senior and retired thinking, well, I guess it's all behind me. So there's nothing for me to do now. My good days are over. Not true. 
young person. Well, one day, then I'll not true. It's right now where you are. But young people in particular, one day when I get into my career, then I'll be able to make a difference and serve the Lord. Or one day when I have more time, one day when we buy a house, then I can really serve and reach out to others once I have a house one day. One day when we have a little bit more money. You know, i got to work really hard right now to get established. There's so much money pressure. But one day I'll get that all taken care of, and then I'll really be able to serve the Lord and serve others. That day does not come for 99% of people. 1% are independently wealthy. You don't have to worry about that maybe. But most people, that day doesn't come. When I finally got everything taken care of, you're called to be a Christian right where you are, to live out your calling to Jesus, to your calling to Jesus, called to live that out in whatever other callings you have in life. That's the point of the passage. So the question is, who is around you right now? If we look at the rest of the chapter, who are you married to? Who are you connected to as a single person? Who are your children? Because children are mentioned earlier in the chapter. So who are you around right now? I mean, it would be a helpful exercise to write down, who are the people in my life right now, starting with my family, my church people I'm connected with, my uh, coworkers, my neighbors, who who is it right now that's around you? That's the, the, they're the people God's calling you to. It's not some future people person that may be out there. It's people in this room that you're called to right now. Don't wait for the ideal situation. Are you actively participating in a church? I'm not speaking to you if there's your first time guest, you're kicking the tires, you're checking things out. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm talking to someone who chronically doesn't get involved in a local church as a Christian. Are you actively participating in church? Don't wait, there's not a better day coming. Are you, are, are you working on your marriage right now? Well, no, there's a, there's a lot going on at work, but when I get over this project, which is supposed to be done in October, when I get over that, I don't think your spouse is very excited about that plan, by the way. Let me just break that to you. But it's no, it's like right now. Are you volunteering, giving your time to serve someone else while I'm busy? It's right now. Are you taking this job seriously? But this isn't my career. No, are you taking the job where you are right now seriously? Don't wait. The ideal situation to serve Jesus is the situation you're in today. That's the perfect situation to serve Jesus in. And to help make this more clear, Paul goes back to their conversion and he says, remember when you were called to Jesus, it really didn't matter what situation you were in to get called to him. So think about when you were converted, it didn't matter what your situation, God saved you in that situation. So the idea is now you can serve him in that situation or whatever situation you're in. So the first thing he does is God's calling your circumstances. Then he talks about God's calling your religious status. Verses 18 and 19. Was anyone at the time of his call, now that's not talking about who you're married to and when you work, where you work. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So he's saying, think about when you were Uh, first called to the Lord. When you believed, think about that time. Now, if you are new to the Bible 
and you've never read the Bible and you just walked in and you just said, wow, all of a sudden we're talking about your calling. Now we're talking about circumcision. That is really bizarre. And I would understand how you would think that. But it would be important for you to know that circumcision was the sign of being Jewish. That was the sign of being a Jewish male. And uh, everyone, every male child was circumcised as a sign that they were part of God's community. And that was a huge divide in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, circumcision in the Roman world where these people lived, uh, it was viewed as barbaric. And so uh, Gentiles were not circumcised. People in Corinth, if they weren't from a Jewish background, were not circumcised. So he is saying, look, if you were Jewish when you heard the gospel and believed, great. If you weren't Jewish when you heard the gospel and believed, great. Don't be ashamed of your background. And don't try to correct it. There was actually, from what I've read, there was, I'm sure it was very basic. This is 2,000 years ago. But there was a surgery um, that, uh, that was performed on men who wanted to hide the marks of circumcision. And so there was an actual practice, and that's why he says, was anyone at the time of his call, verse 18, already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. He's talking about a literal, uh, an actual procedure. So he's saying, don't, don't do that. You were received in the Lord. Don't, don't try to make a difference. Why is he talking about this? Well, there's a couple things. He's saying, don't worry about your ethnic identity. That doesn't help or hinder you serving the Lord. This church likely had people from Jewish backgrounds, for sure Gentile backgrounds, because Corinth is in Greece. So for sure Gentile backgrounds, but they probably they had Jews in the church as well, Jewish backgrounds. He's saying, don't worry about that and don't try to hide that. It was probably also a sign of status. The next passage talks about status, but this probably does too. Because Romans would have looked down upon that practice, um, a male who was circumcised and from a Jewish background, it could have been something that would be looked down upon. Now, this whole argument about circumcision, uncircumcision, my whole life, I've wondered how does, like, how does anybody know? Uh, and actually, actually asked that in my high school Sunday school class. I'm afraid to give you the answer of what my teacher said, but, uh, uh, but here's why. I read it this week. There's a couple of reasons. One is, and I knew this, but I didn't connect the dots, is that the gym, the gymnasium, is a, uh, is a, is a Greek uh, creation where they were. And so if you were training for athletics or competing in athletics, um, as a male, you competed in the nude. So you, you trained in the nude, you wrestled in the nude. Uh, and, you know, so I go to the gym, and I can only say, praise God, those days are over. But... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so that would be one thing. And then the other thing was in Corinth, they would have had uh, public baths, public baths. And so if you were a male, people would know which, uh, if, you, if you were, if you were not circumcised. It could, and so to hide that, to think I'm looked down upon in the culture, Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, don't worry if they look down upon you. Don't worry if you have outsider status. Don't try to fix that. You can serve. He saved you from a Jewish background. You can serve him as a Jewish background. Then he goes on to say, if someone was not circumcised, don't let him not seek circumcision. Were you a Gentile? Well, you don't have to become a Jew first to become a Christian. That's what the book of Galatians is about. People were saying, you have to be circumcised before you can become a Christian. He says, were you a Gentile? Great. 
Come believe in Jesus and you don't have to have anything done to you. Paul says it doesn't matter, verse 19, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of the Lord. It does not matter your religious background, your ethnic background. This has nothing to do with your status before God. Follow Jesus. Follow his commands. Stop worrying about that, that's what he's saying. I mean, if I could be really blunt, this is what I think he's saying. The status of your foreskin has nothing to do with your status before God. You can tweet that. That'll be the most memorable thing I'll say today. (laughs) It does not matter the religious and ethnic background and serve him where you are. And that is true for us as well. It does not matter your religious background. It does not matter your ethnic background. God called you to believe in Jesus. Now follow him. That's all that matters. If, If you are not a follower of Jesus, then this passage speaks to you because it says God reaches you where you are. Well, you don't understand. I was raised atheist. My family's atheist. It does not matter. We don't understand. I'm from a, I'm from a, um, my, my family's Muslim. I'm, I'm from a different religious background. I don't know that I would be accept. It does not matter. It does not matter. Well, I came from a very religious background. Matter of fact, I was Roman Catholic growing up. Roman does not matter. I grew up in a Christian church. I know all the Bible verses. I grew up very moral. Does not matter. None of that matters. What matters is that you come as a sinner before Jesus and say, I need you to save me. And I trust your death and your resurrection for me. And I'm leaving behind whatever status, whether I think that makes me low or whether I think that makes me good with you. No status separates me from you anymore or makes me any closer to you. I am dead and I need spiritual life. So this is really good news if you don't know the Lord. This is great news. Don't clean yourself up. Don't do this. To the Gentiles, he's saying, don't go to do a religious practice to think that's okay, makes you okay with God. Your religious status does not matter. So here's the point. If God called some of you as Jews and some of you as Gentiles, and in that place he saved you, if he called you as you were, then you can serve him wherever you are. That's the point of the passage. The next point, number three, God's call in your social status. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is a bondservant, as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was called, uh, he who is free, I'm sorry, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So here he's not speaking of religious status, but he's speaking of social status. And he's saying whether you were a slave or whether you were free when you heard the gospel and believed, when you were called to God, whichever it was, whichever condition you were in, neither, neither will disadvantage you from thriving as a believer in Jesus where you are in your secondary calling. So your secondary calling may be free, it may be slave, that may be the situation God has you in. But your primary calling to Jesus means regardless of that situation, you can thrive in him. Now, in Corinth, about a third of the citizens were slaves, about a third. So this really related to many who would read it. And it's hard for us to understand that culture because we have uh, in our own country's history, uh, you know, just an incredible, grievous blight on our own history, which is 
slave, the slave practice and the slave trade that was in our country. What's going on here is a bit different than what happened in our country. What happened in our country is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. The Scripture forbids kidnapping and selling humans. Human trafficking is forbidden in the Bible. But that is not what's going on in Corinth for the most part. Um, it's also not based on race. Being a servant, a bond servant, a slave, bond servant could be a willing slave, is not a, it, it was different than what we have, uh, what we know of. Not based on race, not based on being sold, kidnapped and sold against your will. Uh, also not based on doing menial labor, like working the fields. Slaves uh, at times ran businesses for the owner. Slaves did accounting. Slaves ran households for people. So they did all kinds of responsible jobs. It was probably more like an indentured servant. Many people went in voluntarily, or at least they had to kind of go into slavery because that was a way to pay off their debt. And once they paid off their debt, they were free. Or they, some people actually just preferred it because in a, in a uh, challenging society, it provided a stability. So you may lose your freedom, but if you have a, an owner, a free person who has a um, uh, good, who has means, then you are provided for. So I'm not saying it's good at all, um, but I'm just saying it's a bit different than what we know in our country, which is why in verse 21, he says, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. But still, they, were, they didn't have freedom. So even a bondservant who willingly put himself or herself in that situation, they didn't have freedom. And so they were viewed as a lower status and Paul says, if that's your condition, don't fear. Um, it doesn't mean that your life doesn't count. Now, he does say, if you can get free, go ahead and do that. And don't put yourself in a bondservant position. Verse 23, if you have the freedom, don't do that, uh, he says. But if that's where you are and you can't change that, then, then you can be used where you are. And in fact, he reverses the roles. He said, if you are a bondservant, Humanly speaking, just know you're free in the Lord. The Lord, what's he saying? The Lord doesn't look on you at your, by your status and limit you or minimize you. You're a free person. Even if you, against your will, have circumstances, a low societal status, you are still free in the Lord. The Lord still uses you. And by the way, Mr. Free Person, Mrs. Free Person, don't be thinking that you're just all that because you're a slave, is what he says. You're a slave to Christ. So we're all ultimately in that vertical calling relationship. We're all serving him wherever we are in our secondary callings. And we don't determine our value by our secondary callings. Because if you did, the slave, the bondservant would say, well, I'm a second-class Christian. And, and, and Paul says, no, he actually reverses it. You're the free person. The free person I'm going to call the slave. So he dignifies them in their role. This is why it's so important. Do you see this? If all of your security is in your job, what happens when you lose your job? You're a failure. It's over. You don't have anything to live for. People that live for their job 40 years and then retire many times are aimless and then die because their whole life was, was focused on that role. So here he can say a role that none of us would wish, that none of us would want, a bondservant. And he says, you're free in the Lord. Did God call you as a bondservant? Did you hear the gospel as a bondservant? Were you called to him vertically? Then horizontally, you can walk out that calling for the glory of God. 
Don't prefer it, but you can do it. You're not limited by your social status. That's what he is saying. Whatever your social status, you have a calling from God that supersedes what you do. And I think that's a particularly helpful example. Because what you do and where you are does not define you. This is not where you find your value. It's not your circumstances that define you. It's your relationship with Christ, your primary call as a believer. That's where you find satisfaction, and that's when you find fulfillment. Because the reality is in life, your callings are going to change along the line. But that's the constant. That's the constant. Your secondary calling is meaningful. It's very meaningful. It's important, but it's not the definition of who you are. So if you're here today married, you're not primarily a married person. You're primarily a follower of Jesus Christ who has a very important calling in your marriage. That's your most important earthly calling. But it's not your primary calling. So if your spouse dies, it doesn't mean that would be grievous, very sad, very difficult. Maybe a long period of grief, but it doesn't mean life's over for you. Because your primary calling is Christ. I think you're following what I'm saying. If you're single... You're not primarily a single. You're primarily a follower of Christ who at this stage of your life is called to be single because that's where you are. Maybe you're called long-term, but at least you're called now. So if you never got married, it didn't mean you had a wasted life. It didn't mean you had a secondary life. We'll see next week. Paul says you're set up to actually have a more fruitful life in some ways is what he has to say. So whether you're single or married, you're called to serve and make a difference in your primary calling. That's true with your job. Whether you take out the trash at work or whether you're the CEO at your company, it doesn't matter in your ability. I'm not saying that, that you might not ascribe to do more, to have more influence or more responsibility. That's not a bad thing. But what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that you can't be used by the Lord, that you can't worship the Lord, that, he doesn't, that your life doesn't count in that situation. And in the church, man, we are the churches, we, our secondary callings are important. It's important what your secondary callings are, but we're not relating to people based on secondary calling. We're, rati- we're relating to people based on primary calling. So if you're single, you're not second class. If you are in the service industry making minimum wage, you're not second class in the church. If you're married, you're not second class. So it, it's, it's not that way. In the church, it is our calling is to serve the Lord and serve one another. And in some ways, I would say we check our cultural status at the door because all ground is level at the cross. Here's where that's lived out. I, I love seeing this. Here's one of the things I really love to see. I love to see a guy, and I'm going to use guy as an example because I think it's, this would be true of a lady too, but I think it's more telling with a guy, and you'll see what I'm about to say. I love to see a guy who has a responsible position in the marketplace. Um, it has great influence. Many people are looking up to him. Uh, he has a lot of pressure and responsibility. A lot of people are sort of under his charge, and he is uh, responsible, and in the world's eyes, uh, he is successful. The Lord has entrusted great responsibility to him. I love to see that guy walking in here on a Sunday in a blue t-shirt and it says GK, Grace Kids on it. And on Sunday morning, he's crawling around with the four-year-olds reading Bible stories to them. I love that. Now, I love that a woman does that too as a CEO, but you understand oftentimes you think, well, the women are with the kids. Men often aren't. By, by. I love to see that because what it says is here in the church, we serve is calling the Lord. We're not ranking people on a cultural status. We're not saying, wait a minute, who was a slave? 
Okay, who was free before when they got converted? And who other, wait a minute. Okay, who's circumcised and who not? That, that's going to rank us in the church. We don't do that. Wherever you were called, you were welcomed in. Wherever you are now, we want to equip you to serve where you are now and to fulfill your calling. Last verse, God's call where you are. So God's call in your circumstances, God's call uh, and your uh, religion uh, or your uh, religious, the, the religious aspects of your life, God's call in your status, God's call where you are. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. I don't think the primary emphasis on the verse is don't try to change ever under any circumstances remain just as you are when you were called. I mean, obviously he said, if you are a slave and can get free, get free. Uh, earlier he said, if you, uh, if, if you are single and have a desire to be married and can't live a celibate life, get married. So he's all for changing your status. I think he would say, if you're young, seek to use your gifts to develop yourself with an anticipation that the Lord will uh, give you greater responsibility and opportunity in your career as you get older. I, I don't think the passage is saying have zero ambition. There'd be other verses we could look at on that. That's not his point here. Um, I think his point is whatever circumstances you're in, you can serve the Lord there. That's his point. You can serve God. You can honor Christ. You can make a difference in the lives of others because your ideal status is your current status. Why? Because he says this, whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. Because wherever you are, God is with you. God is with you in that role, in that position, in that calling. Remain. The word remain is used a couple times. Remain there. It's key in this passage. It means don't spend your energy on just endlessly dreaming about the right situation and ignore the opportunity that you have now. God is with the free man. God is with the bondservant. God is with the Jewish Christian. God is with the Gentile Christian. Two points of application and we're done. Here's the first one, and I've said it a hundred times. Follow Jesus right here. Right here right now. God called you as you were so that you can fully serve Jesus wherever you are. So ask the question, how can I honor him by doing the best I can for his glory in the job that I have now? The job I have now, how can I do that? Not thinking about another job and living for another job, but how can I do this? You know, my wife and I lived a number of years in the LA area. And uh, it was so fascinating to ever go to a restaurant because when you did, I know this is a caricature you see in the media, but it's true. You would just frequently meet someone and say, well, hi, thanks for, you know, thanks for being our server. And how long you been here? Oh, well, I, this is nothing. I'm really, ju I'm just here while I'm shopping my screenplay. But as soon as that gets bought or, uh, you know, I'm just, well, I've got, I'm, I'm an actor. And, uh, and uh, so I'm just acting interested. I don't care about this job and uh, um, acting like I like you and want to do this. But uh, I'm an actor. So, I mean, I did, man, I got a play. I got a small part. Like I was, I was standing by the bush in an Allstate commercial. And so I know I've been in a commercial or uh, I'm in the music industry. I play guitar. I'm just playing at a small little club on Friday nights now. But it's, you know, it's, it's about to blow up uh, for me. Um, La La Land, maybe you saw that. So it's that life. It's the life of, I'm just doing this, but the big thing is coming. And Christians do that as well. 
The big thing's coming. Maybe you're not trying to sell a screenplay or, you know, uh, invent a product, but, but it's just the big thing is coming. The question is, how can I do whatever I am right now for the glory of God? How can I grow in my marriage right now? now? How can I use my single life to honor him? We'll talk about it next week. How can I use my single life to honor him right now? How can I maximize my student years? If you're a student, how can you maximize your student years to serve Jesus? Not just saying, well, this is, I'm just going through this so I can get a job. I'm just going through college because you kind of got to do that to get a job. No, learn all that you can. Learn, you have an incredible opportunity to learn to think critically, to hear other people's perspectives, to process those, to discipline yourself for disciplined thought in sometimes things you're not interested in, and then, uh, you know, writing about that or taking a test on that. I mean, do you really think you're going to have a job someday where you're going to love every second? You're not going to have every second. You're going to have to do some stuff that wouldn't have been your favorite. Well, this isn't that interesting to me, and I got to still do it and make a report on it. Yeah, just like you did back in school. And that's training you. There's nobody who 24 hours a day answers to no one and just does whatever they want every second. That, that's not reality. So you're being trained right now, and you can make a difference right now. Follow Jesus in the job you have. When, when you think about being fruitful through your labors, when you think about being fruitful and, com- and contributing to others, when you think about being fruitful and contributing to a community and to a world that is flourishing, don't assume that that's a future job. Assume that that's what God wants you to do right now. Have you ever thought about this? Why would God entrust you with more influence and more responsibility if you don't care about where he's placed you today? Why would he? If you're a supervisor, would you, somebody's coming in and they don't care about anything, would you say, oh, great, let's give you more responsibility? Why would, if we don't take serious today, if we're not faithful in little things, why would we have any sense that somehow the Lord's going to bless and honor that and give us increased stewardship and responsibility in some other situations? So follow Jesus right where you are for his glory. And lastly, uh, draw your identity from your big calling not your little callings. Now, it's important. Your marriage is important. Your job is important. I'm calling it little callings with a little C because it's not primary in the sense of your relationship with Jesus forms all of that, influences all of that, directs all of those other ones. They go together. They go together. We live in a world where people are chasing satisfaction and meaning in their jobs. And one of the, play, one of the problems is they take their occupation and they substitute that for identity. And so they're chasing ultimate meaning in a secondary calling. It happens with people who long to be married or long to have a child or something where that is their defining issue of life. And and nothing else matters except that one sense of calling. Did you know the average person right now in the U.S. stays in a job for 4.4 years? Average length of time in a job. Now, here's the interesting thing. Millennials are half that which is not, not mocking millennials or taking a shot. It's just reality. You were raised thinking all my dreams will come true. And, um, and so it didn't come true in the first two years. So I'm looking for something else. That, that's the reality. It's half of the 4.4 years. That's what that means. This is what that means. The average millennial will have between 15 and 20 jobs in their career. This is from a Forbes magazine article entitled Millennials and Job Hopping. 15 to 20. Now, there may be some good reason 
you can tell me after the service because I'm having trouble coming with it right now. But there might be some good reason to have 20 different jobs in your career. Maybe there's a good reason for that. Um, but I want to say for some people, they're searching for something that they will never find. It's okay to change the job to get, uh, you know, a better situation where you perhaps could have, uh, use your gifts better, have more responsibility. It's not wrong to gain more compensation in a different role. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying fulfillment comes from your first calling and you can have 20 jobs looking for it and never find it. Your, f- your fulfillment comes in Christ. And from there, you honor God and you serve others. You have to tie your daily role to your greater calling in the Lord to find satisfaction, to say, he's placed me here. Now, how can I honor him and serve him? If Paul's telling slaves, you are free to honor and serve the Lord you, where you are, then how can I do that where I am as a, as a stay-at-home mom raising toddlers, as a person spending the day in front of a computer screen working spreadsheets, as someone out in the field doing construction work, as someone taking classes in college that aren't that interesting to you sometimes, but you have to take them anyway, and God is calling you in all of those roles to see meaning and dignity and glory because of your primary calling that God has placed you there. So you take your joy in the God who, verse 17, assigned you there, the God who called you there, the God who is, his, has some purpose for you there, that you can find your purpose in him right here, right now. Don't live for the perfect situation. Live for the perfect Savior And realize the key is that he wants to change you and work through you where you are. Single married, student retired, beginning your career, peak of your career, uh, service industry, uh, perhaps even minimum wage worker, CEO. And everywhere in between, God works with us where we are. The path to a fruitful life is faithfulness to Jesus, my primary calling in the many callings he's given me today, not someday. And we need his grace for that. In Corinth, they were thinking different things. They were judging one another about their status. They were judging one another about their background religiously. They're judging one another about single or married. And Paul says, stop it. Everybody, get your eyes on Jesus. Those things don't matter. He will use you where you are. By God's grace, may he do that for us. May he do that for us as a church. This is right where we are. This is where we are today, and God's got a purpose for us. Not what's going to happen in our church one year or five years. He's got a purpose for us today. So let's embrace that and end your life today. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.